Welcome to Misinformational, hosted by Rebecca Jones and produced by Big Mouth Media. This weekly podcast with Florida COVID whistleblower Rebecca Jones dives into the world of disinformation and how it's hurting America and democracy. Now, here she is, Misinformational. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Jones, and it's unfortunate when you're somebody like me who dismantles disinformation for a living with all of the disinformation that's spread by the right when you have to take down somebody on the left. You would hope that they would do their due diligence in their reporting and stick to the truth. We don't ever want to give people fodder to claim that our side is spreading disinformation. But unfortunately, I was made aware of a video that was posted on YouTube by the Young Turks reporter, Anna, in which not a single statement in itself individually was entirely factual. So this is something that yet again, we have to do to make sure that we're keeping in check left-leaning people who claim that they're reporters when they're acting as commentators on pretty critical events. So I always have wondered what would possess someone to think that the Daily Mail and the Nationalist Review are legitimate sources. Certainly, I was surprised to see them being shared by people who were moderate corporate type Democrats over the last few years. But to see them being used as a news source for another news agency is truly disturbing, especially when legitimate media outlets like the Miami Herald so epically humiliated them for the disinformation they were spreading. So all of Anna's information here seems to come from two places, a Daily Mail article that was released in May 2020 to scare me from ever coming forward, which was debunked by everyone, and a 2021 article by the National Review that was, again, debunked by everyone. This National Review article in particular was in anticipation of me getting official whistleblower status from the state of Florida. That was not something I asked for. That was not a complaint I even filed. We filed our complaint with the Florida Commission on Human Relations, which, of course, Anna conveniently left out of her take, her analysis, I guess you could call it, of a series of events involving my life. And that was released just before I got whistleblower status. Here are the two headlines and the dates right next to each other. It was clearly meant to do damage control for something that state officials knew was coming because it was signed off on weeks before I actually received it. And again, I never filed a complaint with the inspector general's office. I never interviewed with them. We were very careful about the communications we had with them because we did not expect anything to come of what they were investigating. We were wrong. Uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. But using the National Review and the Daily Mail of all things is two sole, your two only pieces of evidence to try to destroy a human being and discredit something that has been independently investigated and verified, not just by news sources, but by state agencies, is a travesty. It is a journalistic crime. But let's break down play by play exactly the disinformation that we're debunking with Anna today. I can't even count the number of times that Anna misread tweets in a 30-second span. She interpreted the word government as governor, which was a mistake. She conflated deleting records with deleting deaths, which is another mistake, and apparently has never read any of the raw documentation, the complaints or the responses or arrest reports for any of the materials that she's talking about, which, again, should be a journalistic crime. 
but that's not really what she's trying to do here. And I think it's important that we remind everybody, especially the people who listen to her and think she's trustworthy, that her intent here has to be malice. When you consider the sum total of what she was trying to do and the way that she either used known-to-be-fabricated news stories that got reporters fired or omit things that contradict her narrative, it has to be malice. So at 2.39 in this video, which we're going to split up and we'll feed in here to show what we talk about, Anna says that she came across in this passive way a Daily Mail article that shed some negative light on my past life from college. She made the big mistake that no other reporter, no legitimate reporter, has actually made to date with that Daily Mail article by falsely stating that I had an affair with one of my students. He was a classmate, a classmate who was abusive, a classmate who told his roommate to take my class so that specifically he could keep tabs on me. She repeated directly from my abuser's police reports statements that he made that were not only false, but that the university itself came out publicly to correct and issued letters of support for me for. Why would you not include the fact that the university itself, the department itself, publicly debunked what my abuser said to cops in an interview? I don't know. The fact that the my abuser also lied to police and admitted doing it, and that's why all these charges that she keeps mentioning that were never actually filed were just dropped because he admitted to lying. This is the person that they're using to try to character assassinate me. She also references a cyber harassment charge, not stalking, cyber harassment, because this was seven years ago when I was in college and this was a classmate, not a student. But a couple years after that experience, which was incredibly traumatizing, I filed a police report for sexual assault against him. I went to the university. I did all of the things that you're supposed to do, which she also failed to mention. And I decided to write about it as a writer for a blog that my friend was putting together about surviving different types of domestic abuse. This was a guy who, when I tried to leave him, would fake sickness and even hospitalization to try to keep me there, who, when I blocked his cell phone number and told him not to contact me, would show up to my office and demand that I end meetings with my students to speak to him. It was dangerous and it was very scary, and he assaulted me physically more than once. And he claimed that writing about this and naming him as an abuser of women, this was in his compl complaint, was tantamount to cyber harassment. That in itself is a horrible thing to try to exploit and target someone with, and that she would know if she had read literally any of the documentation that she is referencing. Clearly she did not. This is, I think, one of the grossest and most vile rumors. There's a reason it was only ever written once, and that it was only ever written in the Daily Mail, because it's false. The American media, Tampa Bay Times, Miami Herald, USA Today, every single one of these outlets had thoroughly debunked this. It was used by DeSantis to attack me two days, I believe, after I was fired to scare me from ever coming forward. And to regurgitate these attacks as if they're statements of fact is journalistic malpractice, to be put it in plain terms, journalistic malpractice. And it's really disgusting that I have to keep addressing this, but here we are. 
I haven't actually had anybody take this seriously in years because I let the press do their job and vet this and find it to be false. And why all of a sudden this became a legitimate source, we're talking about the Daily Mail tabloid article from about three years ago that was clearly intended to intimidate me into not coming forward because I was in hiding for five days, is sick. It's really sick. So she also makes another mistake of conflating the blog post about the abuse in which there were descriptive graphic texts and the criminal complaint I filed against him for sexual assault and the restraining order I applied for against him as the ones that having the pictures to show that he was still sending these materials to me. They were two different things. But of course, she again did not do her due diligence and check this out. And she would know that. There were never photos shared of my ex to the public, although photos I sent him and only him did end up on the internet more in one place, including on OnlyFans, which took longer than I thought it should to take it down. So that's really nice to have another woman say something like that. We also never had sex in a classroom, which is disgusting and abhorrent. The first time that we ever had sex was when he sexually assaulted me in my office. No sex ever happened in classroom. He was not my student. And again, read the materials, read the source materials. This is a basic thing of reporting. The reason that no one else is writing these things, that she's just espousing them, is because they did that. They read the actual reports. They read everything that was involved and said, this is not something that is coverable because it's the more disturbing pieces of this come after she accused my son, my 13-year-old son of moonlighting as a little darky. And it makes me call into question all of the reporting that this person has ever done. And there really cannot be enough emphasis put on to what reporters are supposed to be doing and then how they behave. Anna seems to have bought this 2021 National Review article hook, line, and sinker. So we should talk about that story. As I mentioned, that story was released knowing that I would be given legal whistleblower protection very shortly after. They even went after the title of the whistleblower who wasn't. This was a somewhat regurgitation of something Christina Pushaw wrote for a very far-right outlet called Human Events, earlier in the year, but never got any traction. It was easily dismissed. It was debunked. Nobody paid attention to it. Um, she used it to get her job with DeSantis. Of course, after I had a restraining order taken out against her, here's a copy of that. And after she was criminally charged with violating said restraining order, she was offered a job as DeSantis's spokesperson and helped grow the groomer attack line against LGBT people. When the National Review article first came out, I glanced it, thought it was so ridiculous that I wasn't going to waste my time responding to it, but then something strange happened, and Jeb Bush retweeted it. And I was actually filming for the documentary about everything that's happened that uses actual source material and evidence, unlike this Young Turks piece, when I noticed that it happened and I thought something had definitely shifted. I continued to ignore it until a good friend of mine whose reputation is precedes him certainly in the media said, you need to address this, go through point by point and debunk every single part of it, which is what I did. 
And if Anna had even tried to find that, it would have been extremely easy to find. It made incredibly outlandish claims. Things like, I never even had access to data that I was solely in charge of managing, which was not only disproven with the Miami Herald article that came out right after this article did, but also in the attempt of the state to get me to dismiss my whistleblower complaint by threatening me with prison if I didn't drop it. In that dismissal agreement, the state had said that if I dismissed the case and agreed to destroy all the data they claimed publicly in official statements I never had access to, data that was being used and is still being used as evidence against the state to prove everything that I said, if I destroyed all traces of it, they would dismiss the case against me. I obviously refused. And Grant Stern did a great job with original source material covering what was seen as one of the most ridiculous cases of someone trying to politicize a plea deal by threatening someone with prison to drop a case in civil court that existed seven months before the criminal action. And you can read that article. I will make sure that I include it in the summary of this. It was great reporting all around. The prosecutor even tried to forge my signature and admitted to it on a later deal that we made. The National Review story, after it was thoroughly destroyed, was also dead and buried, as it should have been. Now, why someone would go to a tabloid article from three years ago and a far-right this is the home of the birther conspiracy theory outlet from two years ago, both of which had been destroyed. I don't know. I can't imagine what in the world she was thinking when someone, let's take a wild guess, started encouraging her to read these and to believe everything that she was writing. And it's no mystery that I have a very dedicated stalker army, including one person who tried to run for school board last year in Kokomo, Indiana, and came out 12th of 12 and tried to hide his spare time hobby of stalking me persistently online. This is the same person who leaked a partially redacted warrant that was issued for my son, which under the state of Florida, those cases are not available to the general public, and then selectively edited video of us going to the sheriff's department to try to claim that I turned my own son in when, in fact, he was handcuffed and arrested, but they cut all that part out. These are not great people, and I know from leaks that we received last December that they do keep an entire drive dedicated to generating memes attacking me, to talking points, to how to respond to people who like or retweet anything that I write on any social media network. It's very expansive. It's been turned over to the FBI who's been investigating it for months. And that was information I could have told Anna if she had bothered to do her job. Um, of course she didn't, so here we are. And perhaps some of this is Anna's lack of expertise in data management or data science or science in general. You cannot expect every reporter to have expertise in every single field that they cover. But if she had spoken to literally anybody about this, then they could have helped her avoid these horrible mistakes that she's attempting to glaze over to engage in character assassination, which is, again, journalism malpractice. She doesn't appear to actually know what was in my whistleblower complaint or any of the responses or the lawsuit. 
because she's conflating a whole bunch of different things all at once. She's talking about the raid on my house as being a cause for being fired, which of course it was not. It happened seven months after I was fired. She um, mentioned something about restricting access that of course my former supervisor, Craig Curry, in his sworn affidavit, this was covered in the Miami Herald article, said that did not happen. Whenever you relinquish control of something and you're the only person who has access to it, you have to put it into a shared drive so other people can get it. The person that she cited, almost hysterically and ironically, is the person who crashed the whole system. They begged me to stay, to not quit my job, and to help them fix it. There are so many things that if she had read, I can think of just two articles she could have avoided this whole embarrassing mess for herself and chose not to. And that would be both the Cosmopolitan article uh, from the same time as the National Review article and, of course, the Miami Herald article, which came afterwards. And for that article, the Miami Herald received every single document, every sworn statement, every email ever exchanged, actually read them all and wrote that amazing investigative piece. The Cosmopolitan article won the author recent awards for profile writing and investigative work. Both of those were amazing pieces, unlike what we're having to confront right now. And perhaps there's part of that is the media's fault. Part of that is that the people who own the news and video oftentimes are not as thorough or as good at their jobs as the ones who write. That's an unfortunate reality. It's also one of the reasons when I got my both my undergraduate and my master's degree, I was in the writing part of things. This whole TV thing surprised no one more than me. And unfortunately, TV people are probably the flakiest ones you're going to find. She also talks about the emergency alert system here. And this is a really fatal flaw that kind of reveals where she's getting all this information from. There was a group text that was sent seven months after I was fired in an internal system to other DOH employees. How she characterized the system is exactly how Ron DeSantis characterized this system. So you can see that he goes off on scaring all these little old ladies. The problem with that is, and Anna repeats that line almost verbatim in this piece, Problem with that is, is that it's an internal only communication system that only allows you to text other DOH employees who are assigned the same assignment as you. That is why it doesn't even have the capability of texting little old ladies and scaring people like that. It was a system I never had to use while I worked there. It was a system that was accessible to the general public as multiple reports came out that the username and password was posted all over the internet. and. Yet she made this huge mistake in not even understanding the fundamentals of what was involved with that. And for all of this, after repeating this DeSantis line that obviously was a lie, DeSantis is a known liar from a press conference right afterwards, in which he also says that the cops acted with honor when they pointed a gun to my head and guns at my children, thinks that this somehow justifies pointing a gun at my head and at my children for not showing us a warrant when they showed up for not even giving us a warrant until they were walking out the door three hours later. Because in her mind, she thinks that if someone sent a group test telling people to be honest, internally, that's tantamount to scaring old ladies, as DeSantis said, on a public information alert system, which this is not and does not have the capability to be, would justify pointing guns at toddlers. And 
obviously that's an issue that I get more emotional about. It represented a complete change in my understanding of the dynamics of the state politics of my role in COVID. And it's a little harder for me to discuss what the trauma that caused my children and my family and myself. And to even dance around justifying that when you so clearly don't even understand what you're talking about is really horrible. And we'll move on from that. And there's also the lie by omission. So Anna pretty much just pulls out everything that the Daily Mail and the National Review covered and omits everything that contradicts that narrative. And she jumps over a huge block of time and some pretty important events. The state continued to pursue its case against me, even after a U.S. Supreme Court ruling in the Van Buren case invalidated every single state law that was the basis of the law that was used against me. She completely ignored the fact and did not even use the words that the state agreed to dismiss this case only after the November election in 2022. Incidentally, on the two-year anniversary of the raid itself, she mischaracterizes, of course, the agreement that we made, which is not surprising considering that's something that the alt-right has done as well. And she also skates over what DeSantis's role in that was. And of course, that's when we go back again to this video. So by omitting DeSantis's admitted role and how this happened, his defense of it. And despite the law being ruled unconstitutional and the ultimate dismissal, she's trying to justify what they did to my family. And that is nothing short of political motive, or maybe she's doing it for clout. I don't know this person. Unlike her, I wouldn't just look up random facts on the internet, repeat them as truth, and try to disparage her entire character. However, the indictment that this makes on her reporting does make me call into questions previous videos that I've shared that this woman has done because none of the raw material was examined here. None of the documents were actually read. She took something that she probably received from one of my trolls and believed it, did not look for the counter evidence, didn't look at the fact that any of these things have been debunked and then posted it as fact. And it's really hard to not think she's being malicious in her characterization of a report that came out in April of 2022. As I mentioned earlier, it was the Department of Health Inspector General's office who granted me legal whistleblower protection, a privilege I still have as our lawsuit is still ongoing. We never filed a complaint with them. They received a complaint from the agency that we actually filed our complaint from, Florida Commission on Human Relations, after the raid. Apparently, people at the FCHR, which is the initials, were so outraged by what had happened in the raid that they forwarded materials to the inspector general's office, who then began their own separate investigation, again, of which I did not even interview. However, when she characterizes the results of this investigation, she completely misses the mark. The first two allegations that I was directly ordered to change data and pass it off as real from two specific people were ruled not substantiated. And in legal terms, that doesn't mean they didn't happen. The specific language that determination says was they could neither prove nor disprove that happened. That the people that were the sub, the target of the investigation, my supervisors, denied it, and therefore it was a he said, or in this case, she said, situation. And then she fails to mention that on the very last one, 
that the IG's office found that I told the truth about being told to hide and delete data from the public, and that because there was no specific rule or policy that said you cannot hide and delete critical pandemic data from the public during a pandemic, they had not broken any rules by telling me to do that. That how you feel about that rule, I obviously disagree with it, but it's a rule they've continued to break. It broke my ethical standards and the professional standards of the organizations that I belong to, the professional societies that issue my certifications for my job. And most recently, they were caught doing it again. Recently, the Florida Department of Health was caught removing data that changed the outcome of the results and the policy decision from a final report specifically to cover up the fact that what they were saying was not true. They selectively released data to the public. Internally, they had it and they kept it, but they selectively released public data so that they could support a policy that the data itself did not support. That is an almost direct reproduction of what happened to me. If you had read the complaint, you would know that, but she didn't. Then she goes into this conspiracy spiral about that the National Review and only the National Review ever wrote about, about being reprimanded on May 6th. That date's significant because it's the day I threatened to quit because I refused to fudge the data. And she quotes the National Review in their mischaracterization of how that went down. This was all based on a personnel file that was prepared after I was fired. The sworn statements by Craig Curry and the others involved directly contradict this. And again, the Miami Herald article is going to be below. The Miami Herald has the copies of the sworn affidavits that directly contradict literally everything that's said in this piece. All of this has been covered in her lawsuit. And the lawsuit itself isn't very long. I think it's 20 pages and most of it is establishing jurisdiction and then signatures. So the body of it can't be more than 15 pages and it's double space in, in the legal margins. So it would not have taken that long to read. And it addresses almost every single thing that she incorrectly characterizes in this segment or this part of her segment. She should know better. She really should. And some of the things that she repeated were verbatim talking points from May 2020, again, that have been so thoroughly debunked, not just by actual media who do their jobs and speak to people and research, but by the statements of people who worked there as well. That she didn't read the documents. And that is a fatal flaw. I don't know if it's forgivable. It certainly necessitates yet another retraction for this entire segment. But she also skipped over some of the key reports that contradict everything. Not just did she mischaracterize the ID report, she failed to even include the results of the Florida Auditor General's report, which found, without dispute, the state didn't even argue against it, that the state unreported cases and even deaths by thousands during the time that I was there, and that it was gross mismanagement that led to such undercounting, exactly as I said. She did not include that. She did not include the letter that I received from the Florida Commission on Human Relations in September of last year, 
that unequivocally states that what I was asked to do was a violation of law that put the health, safety, and welfare of people of Florida in danger. She didn't include that either. She didn't include any of the multiple other investigations that have been done, including the Public Health Administration Board, into how the state was lying and covering up about school board cases or school cases with COVID-19. Everything that proves my case, she left out. And she selectively represented the things that she feels does not, when in reality, if she had read them, also support my case. She questions my title as whistleblower, which, again, is probably one of the clearest indications that this is a very personal, unfounded attack. Whistleblower status wasn't even something I asked for. The state of Florida thought that I was in need of that protection, and the state of Florida granted it to me, and the state of Florida is the reason I still have it. This debate over who gets to be called a whistleblower and who doesn't might be viable if that had never happened, but it did. This is why journalists typically request comment from the subject of their stories, or at a minimum, give them an opportunity to respond. She did not. This is why journalists should always read the source materials before making statements about what's included in them. She did not. Putting an image of a city or of a news desk behind you doesn't make you a journalist. Ben Shapiro does that. What makes you a journalist is a commitment to being diligent, to being honest, truthful, and accurate. Those are commitments I've maintained for years, and ones that Anna seems to have abandoned altogether. I don't like having to debunk people who are considered left-wing. There's plenty of material from the right wing to spend all of our podcasts and all of our time debunking disinformation from the right. And God knows just with my case alone, there was plenty of that this week. But you have to be concerned when you start seeing people who have a platform about the same size as mine intentionally ignoring truth because they want clout or they want to go viral. I don't know this person. I have people who I trust with my life who call her a friend. I think I've done her show maybe once or twice. It's very unfortunate that this has happened at the Young Turks, that this has happened to a woman who is trusted. And I'm going to make sure in the future that everything I share from the Young Turks, I've looked into myself. I'm usually pretty diligent about those things, but this is a real moment for pause. And it's a question of where the future of this organization is going to go if they're nothing more than relaying articles from the Daily Mail and the National Review from three years ago. Hopefully, the next retraction that they issue will get the facts right. Because I've never hesitated to speak to reporters. I've never hesitated to turn over documents. And that's how it should be. When a source is transparent, give them a chance to respond. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining Misinformational with Rebecca Jones, brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Stay connected by visiting misinformational.com and check out all the great shows and articles on bigmouthmediafl.com. You can also join the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and the cesspool that's Twitter. 
Don't forget to subscribe to Misinformational wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.